What the Rambam doesn't say is laws of Mashiach, but what the Rambam has made very famous is he has what he calls 13 foundations of, of a Muna, of faith. He has, uh, it's very, very succinct. He writes them in his, uh, in the Hagdama, in his preface to the, the uh, words that he writes on the 11th Pedic chapter of Sanhedrin, of Mishnais. And it's, it's pretty brief, but he calls them Yusaitis. We call them the 13 principles of faith. He calls them 13, Yusod is a foundation. And those, the idea of boiling down into 13, the incredible ocean of knowledge that we have, 613 mitzvahs, the, the, the entire philosophy, and Gemara, and so on, into 13 principles of faith was something which actually, which somewhat traumatized, it, on the one hand inspired, and somewhat traumatized the Jewish psyche because, first of all, the attitude was somewhat, who does the Rambam think he is? But also, is, is that possible? And therefore, they, those little, it would be a pamphlet if I was giving it out now, there are volumes and volumes written from the greatest giants of the ensuing generations. You have in the media generations, you have Rabbi Chesdoi, Kreskos, you have the Sefer Ikrim, you have Rabbi Barbanel, writing entire Svarim, entire books, analyzing the 13 principles. One of the things that traumatized him is, he called them foundations. Now, he, obviously the Rambam is trying to, to um, underscore the importance of these ideas. If you have a house, and you are real, and you have a house and there's a faulty window, a broken window, a faulty door jam. You have a house, the house is a house, there's a problem. We deal with that. If you have a house with a faulty foundation, it's not a house. You can have a, a nice window and a nice door in the house, the house can't be called a house. Your foundation is missing. So the Rambam, by talking about 13 foundations of our faith, was saying, these are so integral to Jewish life that if any of them is missing, your entire Yiddishkeit is shaking. Very, it's earth-shattering words if you think about it, because where does he get that from? And obviously the Rambam has plans to base himself on. But in, in, the, in the Jewish psyche, think about it, a person unfortunately doesn't put on film. But meanwhile, he keeps Shabbos. Well, his Shabbos is a Shabbos, and the film will get to. But to say that his Shabbos is not a Shabbos, or it's a weak Shabbos, a shaky Shabbos, because he's not putting on film, where do you get from? Where can you find the Gemara in that case? The guy's got a problem, that's for sure. And the meanwhile, the Shabbos is a Shabbos. But the, by the Rambam saying that these 13 principles are foundations of the faith, he's saying that without one of them, your Shabbos is it's a, weak, it's a shaky Shabbos, your Tzillin is a shaky Tzillin, your Kashos is a shaky Kashos. So in other words, you can be very scrupulous in a specific nuance or mitzvah of Yiddishkeit, but without one of these 13 principles of faith, it's shaky. The most obvious, or the most easy to understand, the one that the Rambam actually calls the Yisod this, the foundation of foundations, is belief in God. Imagine a guy walks through my door, says, Rabbi, I keep Shabbat, but I don't believe in God. So I do mitzvahs, I just don't believe in God. It, it, it's, a, it's such a contradiction in terms because mitzvah, as we know, does not mean good deed. Mitzvah means command. Absent the commander, how is it possible to have a commandment? So the idea of feel-good humanism is one thing. But Yiddishkeit is not about feel-good humanism. The, the beauty of Yiddishkeit is that there is a commander. And that I do mitzvahs 
as mixed as my good deeds. That I do uh, something not because it only because it makes sense to me and because my wife likes it and because people he praise on me or things like that because the Abraham told me to do it. That's first and foremost. It's the idea of foundation of, of, of mitzvahs, a foundation of Torah. Absent that, we have humanism. That's very easily understood, understood, I would think. The other 12, you've got to work with more. But they're all what he calls foundations of faith. Now, first of all, we've got to try to understand, obviously the Mashiach is one of the, the, the foundations of the faith, is number 12 according to his uh, reckoning. And First of all, what you want to do is be able to figure out why. Important is one thing. A foundation of faith, you've got to figure out somewhat rationally why. Another thing is that we want to always try, when it comes to faith things, you want to try and ground faith in reason. As much as possible. Because faith is a very strange dynamic in, in the human psyche. The, there's a Gemara which tells us about a thief burrowing to break into a home. He's in the middle of a burglary. He's about to commit a felony. And he prays to God for success in the endeavor. This idiot, he's about to, he's violating what Hashem wants, and he says, please God, help me burglarize this home. <laughs> so you think, first of all, the Gemara has to waste ink on this guy. I mean, the idea What's the Gemara trying to tell us? This concept, and the Gemara makes it as if this is something within the human psyche. It's something we have to search for, that little burglar, that little hypocritical burglar within us. And the point the Gemara is trying to make is that this guy would not be lying if he told you he believed in God. You believe in God? Yeah, sure, I believe in God. But his belief was so up there somewhere, so irrational, so not grounded, in reason that it had no reality to it. Just to believe, believe, believe what? Believe, irra- we believe in super-rational beliefs, not irrational beliefs. Of course, intellect can only take us to a certain point, and there's, there's a faith. That's the way we do business deals. You don't have them etched in stone. You make calculated decisions. People fall in love that way. That's just the way it is. So here we say, you take it and then there's a belief thing. But irrational, that's called stupid. And here, this man, obviously, at least, and there's a beauty to the neshama that it believes even without the rationale, all that stuff, fine. We don't want to, we don't want, we don't pray to be ignorant, though. We don't try to be ignorant. We thank God that he's instilled within us a reflexive faith, even if we, got, we, have, we, can't, we don't have it yet grounded in reason. But that faith is, is, is very amorphous, it's very, very vague. Like the burglar, obviously, we're not burglars, but there is that idea of, yeah, I believe, but uh, I'm not sure exactly. I know that uh, there's a, a, a man, uh, Joseph Tulushkin, lives in Manhattan. He wrote a... Uh, Tulushkin. You heard of him? Yeah. Okay. Jewish literacy. He actually comes from Chabad stock. And I actually, I, op- I saw Jewish literacy in, a, in somewhere uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, if it's in alphabetical order. I th- what? I'm sure it is. I didn't read the book, but I flipped through for the things, you know, if, if it's an alphabetical order and I, don't ha- I only have a little bit of time, I flip through to the ones for, you know, Chabad, other ones. Hey, go to M for Mashiach. I think it was in Jewish literacy. Or he has another one. But the Jewish literacy, I think it was. It says Mashiach. And he writes that Chabad popularized the Mashiach idea. 
And he says that he re- growing up, he went to Yeshiva of Flatbush. Here's a guy who's going to a Orthodox school. He rarely, if ever, heard mention of the idea of Mashiach. You think about it. First of all, I'm, I, I, it's not only Yeshiva of Flatbush. I also went to Yeshivas. You think about it. Here, this man, that in that school, they davened at least twice a day, three times a day, depending on how long the school day was. So two or three times a day, they were saying, they were saying in their in their Shmoneser, they're saying, God, please send us Mashiach. What's the word Mashiach? If you, he wasn't lying. Man, the, man, the man's brutally honest. So if you would walk over to any of those people and say, you believe in Mashiach? Are you sure? But it's not a reality. It was so up there. It was so out there. That was, yeah, it's one of those things. I remember growing up, that hearing, I grew up in West Orange, not far from here. I remember from, from people, you know, Orthodox people in my shul, I remember an older gentleman saying, and it struck me then, saying, he's telling, he's telling my father, you know, he, he, he sees my father, he wants to tell him a little joke, so he says, you know, once, once they, there was this guy in a Polish shtetl, Yankel, who, he never, he couldn't make any money. So they got together, they figured they got to find him a job. So they, they pulled their resources, they decided, they called Yankel, your job is going to be to sit in a hut outside town and wait for Mashiach. <laughs> I could do that. How, how much do I get paid? Two rubles a week. Two uh, rubles a week. It's, I thought that doesn't do too well. But yeah, think about the job security. Never ending, of course. Think she's going to come? Crazy. So this is, you know, from people about the way. I actually remember. I remember seven, probably six, maybe even eight years ago, being in an office in a Jewish Nefrum organization, where things had been published about Mashiach that they were offering to Jewish organizations, and I was present in a room where a Frum man was marketing this to Jewish organizations. And he said, and he told, and an organization said, I'll take 5,000. So he said, why don't you take 10? So apparently the guy on the other, on the other, uh, on the other end said, because I don't need them. He said, but these, you can use forever. It's a famous thing about, it's, it's, it's a familiar pamphlets about how we need Mashiach. And uh, very, uh, very obviously, Mashiach is not here yet. We need Mashiach coming. And the guy who's selling it says, "You can use this forever." It don't really mean he's coming now. It, it struck me as so odd, but it's also odd because it's the it's the it's the, the belief thing without any rationalization whatsoever. Yeah. Do you think that fear of uh, putting too much emphasis on Mashiach and a lot of the communities comes from? Maybe uh, first centuries of being traumatized from the Shabbatites. Uh, absolutely. And that there is so much shame and humiliation in the Jewish communities across Europe, Eastern Europe, that they just, that, that there was this kind of reaction to kind of hide the, the emphasis that maybe it took uh, the Rebbe to say, no, we need to look back at this. Uh, I, I believe that, that uh, a lot of it does have to do with so their their sensitivity is right. So um, the people, so that their sensitivity doesn't come from that. It comes from parents, parents, parents. Also because they think, you know, I, when I moved to Basking Ridge, I met many many Jews who give a lot to the UJA, but thought that that the Mashiach was a Christian idea. Messiah. I never heard of Mashiach. I didn't hear about it. 
Ah, so, so it's a, it's a, and I'm here, the Rambam says it's a principle of faith. My mother is going to concept as a principle of faith. But the point is, first of all, your point is well taken. But similar to the Rebbe's call for, um, for spreading, spreading the Torah attitude to non-Jews, to the world. And I remember the Rebbe saying, the free world went crazy. They went nuts. Well, Babbage is sending Bachem to West Virginia and Montana to talk to Goyim. We did it. What for? I do it. And they were nuts. You have the Rebbe saying, what part of nuts? What are you talking about? This is a Jewish thing. Look at the Rambam. The Rambam says that it's, it's, it's an obligation on every Jew to influence non-Jews to follow the Shavu Mitzvah and Nehra, the seven of high laws. Oh, you mean that for years we were traumatized by anti-Semites and we didn't have a chance to turn around as a guy, talk to the guy behind me with a knife and say, by the way, I got a Mitzvah for you. Okay, you're right. You're right. And the Rambam I understand. But get out of it now. Now we have a chance. We can do something. And you're right, fine. So, but now it, it's time to creep out of it. But my point now is also that we have to try and understand realistically, realistically, within our own persona, what Mashiach means. So that it's not this, this distant, really unrealistic faith thing that I've got, I, I, I have to bear because I'm Jewish and I'm an unbelieving Jew. No, it's something that makes a little more sense. So the way... I would approach it, the way I usually do approach it, is and start in micro and go to macro. Because one, a, a very fundamental attitude in Chabad thought, in Chabad Hasidus, is that we mirror God and God mirrors us. But we are created what's called, in what's called the Tzalem of Kim, in the image of God. In Eov, the, the verse tells us that, that from my flesh I can perceive God. That from my little world, a, I can see the whole world, God included, I can see the universe, the cosmos, and I can influence the cosmos. In the human character, persona, you want to, there is the idea of what we have come to refer to as goals, which is like exile, and Mashiach, redemption. That's Call those two things. Exile and redemption exist within the human persona. In other words, I have within me a little Mashiach that I can bring into play. I can bring an end to my own little exile and bring redemption to my life. In my book. I remember the Rebbe telling a story about a, a, a great Hasidic master named Mendel Haradokar. He was the mentor for a while of the Al-Tarabid author of the Tanya. Mendel Vitebsker Haradokar. And the Rebbe told the story that he moved to, at the end of his life, he moved to Yerushalayim. There's actually a letter, when he passed away in Yerushalayim, the Alter Rebbe wrote, it's printed in Tanya, in the Gerasa Kodesh, one of the letters in the Gerasa Kodesh is about Mendel Hadaka's death, passing. So the Rebbe told the story about Mendel Hadaka's living in Yerushalayim. And uh, one day, somebody went up on the, uh, I don't know where it's, it's either in the, near the castle or the Havazesim, and blew a shoifer. Somebody's bored. Blow the shoifer. It's the middle of the summer. The middle of the winter. So everybody said, uh, Mashiach, they heard a shoifer. The scripture tells us that uh, you talk of the shoifer God, there's going to be a great shoifer blast when Mashiach comes. Your shoifer started to go crazy. Mashiach is here. Somebody comes knocking. The metal. Mashiach is here. He's knocking on his apartment door. So he gets up. 
This is a famous story before the Arab from the Nile. Goes, gets up, goes to the window, sticks out his head, he sniffs, Mashiach's not here. So Hasidim have told the story of Mendel Haradaka because look at this, the powerful sense of, of spirituality that he's able to sniff the world and see Mashiach's not here. That, that's it, it man's very spiritual, I can do that. But the Rebbe asked a very good question. He said, if he had such a wonderful sense of smell, why do you have to go to the window? Sit on the couch and you smell. Changed <coughs> by him going to the window. And what the Rebbe said was that in Mendel because he was such an actualized person, because he had tapped the inner recesses of, recesses of his soul, because his potential as a human being had been met, there's an unfolding of that real deep soul power. In his little world, Mashiach had arrived. He was a, a redemption was a reality in his life. He went to the window to find out if the rest of the world had caught up. What? He, he went to the window to find out if the rest of the world had caught up. The idea, therefore, is that there is a personal side to this. There is, we can call it micro. And within the person, there, so we talk about it, we can call it uh, exile redemption. One of the things that exile means a disunity. If a person is exiled, he's, been, he's being wrenched away from his friends, from his family, from his land. And redemption is bringing them all together. Reunification. Within the human psyche, what we experience, and, and what's there, and one of the problems that definitely Chabad Chassidus sees with us as people, is a tremendous fracture that need not exist from the top down. It is commonplace, part of the course, I'm in counseling, I do counseling, that people know what's right and do contrary because they feel like it. In other words, you know, don't you realize that by you know, doing that to your kid that you're really scarring the kid? Oh yeah, I know, Rabbi, but I was so frustrated. Now, or don't you realize that that silly little one night in, in, in wherever you were over there really jeopardized your whole family and your marriage? Yeah, I was lonely. So now I knew, I'm, my, my brain was going this way, my heart was going that way. And, unfortunately very often, the heart wins. Because emotions are powerful. Hasidus, a, a fundamental concept in Tanya and the Hasidus and the, is that God has given the human the ability to have the mind master the heart. We are created, stand upright, the mind thing is over the heart. Animals are impulsive and really reflexive and therefore if you want to call emotion driven by their impulses. So basically, an animal walking on all fours, it has his head, his or her head and heart on the same level. Because there is no control of the head, of the mind over the heart. We walk upright because there should be. It's above. It doesn't always work that way. But the thing is, that's the way it can be and should be. They should be in sync. When I understand that this is good for me, 
I should feel a pull towards it. And when I understand that it's bad for me, I should draw back. So if, and in a very simple way, a person goes on a diet. A person who goes on a diet, either you can say they can they keep fighting with themselves, and this is the, you know, work, Tanya deals with this a lot in different terms, it's all this emotional thing. It's, that chocolate cake, if I understand how bad it is for me, it, it, should, it should cause me, and, and I know, actually, I know people that way, not in the Jewish sense, in the spiritual sense, that they have convinced themselves using the mind of how a thing is, let's say, negative to them, are counterproductive, are, are unhealthy, and there is a real a visceral the space, although they enjoyed it for a couple of years ago. The mind has the power to control emotions. They should work in sync. The idea that they're fractured, the idea that they're going in different directions, that there is not a unity, that is what we will call, to an extent, it's an exile, it's a disunity. They're not, they're not together as they should be. That's mindful emotions. Emotions, into ex expression, one of the worst things that we have in human interaction is when it's obvious that we don't mean what we say or what we do. That, it is, it's a sh that my actions are a shallow, empty suit. An example. Guy's going to come, uh, it's his, his anniversary. And his secretary buzzes and says, by the way, you know today's your anniversary? Send out for flowers. She orders him flowers, he walks home, puts them on the table, happy anniversary, honey, I got a meeting to go to. She's upset. I gave her flowers, Rafa, I don't know what she wants from me. Doesn't need her flowers, his flowers. She needs his heart. Flowers is just a, is a manifestation of emotion, of sentiment. So he, he, but his flowers are an action. His emotion, his thoughts, his, his, his psyche, his character is in a totally different place at this time. It's a horrible thing. There's a, a fracture there. The, 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 the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, bemoaned what we see. Bemoaned how the handshake is no longer a handshake. Handshake is, you shake someone's hand either perfunctory or, you know, just uh, to, get, to, to get past what I want to say. It's not like, or to me, you know, it's the how are you doing. Next time someone asks you how are you doing, try to answer that. They're going to walk in the other direction. I have arthritis, so I say, like, interested in how you doing? And it's a, it's a common thing. It's a guy I joke about it in show all the time. <laughs> this guy tried to tell me how he was doing. <laughs> no, I'm sure he but uh, I, I said, uh, people ask, how are you doing? What, you said, how are you doing? Why don't you think about what you're saying? I either mean it or don't say it. Think of another thing. Now, I'm not so hot on how are you doing necessarily, but it's so emblematic of the fact that we, we spout things. So my mouth is going one way. My, my mind, my heart, they're in a totally different direction. I say to someone, how are you doing? I'm thinking about my next appointment, or what I want to get to, or whatever it is. Maybe I should think about what I'm saying. Or I walk into a firm show and, and, and watch davening, and although we don't always think the best, one can assume also, you're saying something, think about it. Think about it. So, 
Simply put, there is a, a fracture, a fracture within our day-to-day -day lives. Mind is one thing. Our minds control our hearts and stimulate sentiment that should be poured into a vessel called words and action. And the fact is, if you look around, it doesn't work that way. My, my mind says one thing, my heart says something else, and the other thing, it's my shallow actions are doing something totally else, or something about something else. What Torah asks of us is to bring everything into sync. To, uh, to affect what we can call a redemption in that sense. To a, a reunification of ourselves. Because we're scattered. Me. Physically, I'm in one place, but I, I can be scattered. Because everybody's juggling a bunch of different things. And I'm, I'm thinking about one thing, saying something else, it's not the way to live. Chassidus asks for people to be a pnimi. Whatever you do, do it with your whole heart. That's one of the things that, that and as a book, I didn't fully understand it. I understood it, but I didn't understand it, how, how relevant, how difficult it was until I got married and I got a job. Because it's one of the things that the, that the Rebbe is always asked to be a pnimi. Do it, do it with everything. Don't do something and be thinking half with something else. About something else, where you're going, what you're doing. Do it, be into it. You know why? Because that is real, that is being an entire person. It's bring harmony to your life. Because you haven't, what you're, where you are is where you are. And if I'm here half, but in Basking Ridge, the other half, because I'm thinking that I have to go back and I got an appointment at 10.30, then I'm not really here. I'm fractured. And to be able to redeem myself, in other words, to be a complete person, to bring unity to myself, I have to learn to be where I am, heart, mind, controlling heart, and action. Now, that's more my... In macro, there's, it's somewhat a similar thing, but not, not, not exactly. We believe that any time you do a mitzvah, you change the object of the mitzvah. You have to change something. You take a piece of animal hide. You can throw it on the floor, beat it up, throw it, rip it up, no problem. All of a sudden, sit down, take some ink, and write the Shema on it, make it into a mezuzah, Treat it differently. And when it, it becomes, if it becomes tattered, you bury it. Piece of animal. Get real. <laughs> the idea is good. What, what is a book? A book is not holy. A book is a vehicle. The concepts are holy. Why should this book be considered holy? It has holy words. But once the words are not usable anymore, or a certain page is not legible anymore, throw it out. The, the wood, the pulp that made us is holy. And the trader tells us it absolutely is. We change the, the quantum mechanics, dynamics of the world that we use to do mitzvahs. The Medrash tells us, there's a, a, a postal verse in Shira Shirin, it says, which compares speaks about the difference between the, the oil of perfume and its fragrance. The stuff of the perfume and its fragrance. 
And the Medrash tells us that when the, the Shira Shirim is talking about a fragrance, it's talking about the mitzvahs of Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov, our forefathers. The oil of the fragrance, that's talking about our mitzvahs, me and you. Why? Because a fragrance is unstable. It wafts away. It's not real. I walk into Macy's and I walk out with a good smell. First of all, my wife is going to ask where I came from. And I did. I have nothing. I have nothing to bring. Nothing to give. I don't have anything substantive with me. The oil, the fragrance. It's called perfume. It's, it's real. It's stable and it's there. And, and, and I, I walk with it. Our mitzvahs, we're told, are considered like the oil. In other words, superior in this sense than Avram Yitzchak It's a marriage. Why? Because Avram Yitzchak although the Gemara tells us that they also fulfilled the dynamics of the mitzvahs before Torah was given, but obviously it couldn't be, before the Shema was given, you can't have a mezuzah in the sense we have it. But it was a spiritual dynamic. But they did not have the ability to imbue the physical, material world with spirituality, with godliness. That is a, a trick that we were given, that we were taught at Sinai. We were given the ability to change the nature of animal hearts, of wine, whatever we're using. At Sinai, there was all of a sudden there was a fusion of God and the fit in the material world. And we were given that ability. Not because we're, we're better than Ram Yitzchak because of the progression of generations and God's desire. That's a wonderful thing. So every single time I do a mitzvah, I am changing the nature of the entire physical environment that's part of that. So I got in a car to come here to learn Torah. Car is part of it. This wall, this wall, this room. You know, you can't just sell a shul or a yeshiva. It's a holy, it's a holy place now. It's not mortar anymore. The, the, in, in talking about the times of Mashiach, the, the scripture tells us that Evan Mikir Tizak, that the walls will shout. When Mashiach comes, the walls will shout. What mitzvahs were done in these walls, in, in, in this house, in these environments. So, I am Megui. I'm making a difference here in the dynamics of this world. Now, personally, I don't see that. I don't have spiritual extra vision. I cannot tell. But what we're told is there will come a time, the time of Mashiach, when we will be able to see how we turn the entire world into diamonds how we change the dynamics, even though it's at a level, now we can't see it. Imagine, imagine if every mitzvah is a, is, is, there's a luster and a shine to a mitzvah. And in this room right now, all of a sudden, the shades are pulled, the veil is off, and we can see the cosmic beauty of this room because of the thousands of hours of and, and davening of so many people. So bright that it's, 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 it's difficult to handle. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a totally different room. I don't see it now. The Torah guarantees me that that is the case. 
The problem is that we don't see it now. The Torah says, there will come a time when you will. This is the end game. Your game is to get out there. There is a world out there, which is, some of it is holy, intrinsically. A lot of it is something that has to be made holy. There's a lot of gray area. So, a chair, it's not intrinsically holy. You use it right, it becomes holy. Sit on it to, to plan a, a, um, an immoral act, it becomes not holy. We get to change it. We get, we get to, to sweep it up in what we do. I mean, the Rebbe once said, the world is basically, you can look at, at the world as being full of musical instruments. And the musical instrument, just sitting out there, it's dead. You pick it up, you use it right, make beautiful music. Use it wrong, it grates on the earth. It all depends on what you do with it. And there's a world out there with billions of objects waiting to see how Jews, or in some non-Jews also, but here we're talking about Jews, engage that world. Do they make it holy, turn it into a gem, or let it drop into uh, nothingness? What Rambam is telling us is that if this is a very fundamental part of how we keep our Torah mitzvahs. The Rambam is telling us that from the get-go, you got to recognize that there is commander. We don't do mitzvahs just because they feel good. So the, the Gemara tells us that, that if, I, if I pass by a ham sandwich, I should not say to myself, at least at the beginning stage, I shouldn't say to myself, I. Why? Because then my refraining from eating the ham sandwich is a personal endeavor. I don't like it. But if I did, we did. The Gemara says, we should not say, E-F-S-H-E. don't say you don't like it. Say, E-F-S-H-E. Say, maybe I would. So why should I do it? God told me not to do it. Not to have it. The submissiveness, the surrender to God is a very crucial thing. Otherwise it becomes a human endeavor. Because this I like, this I don't like. So I take a menu off the table. That one I like, that one I can deal without rabbi. I mean, people live that way, but that's not, that's not real Torah. Mitzvah means as a commander. So the says that's a starting point. And the Rambam goes through his, 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 his fundamental. But he says, don't forget the end point too. Recognize that your job is to polish that world. Your job is to reveal God's intent in creating every single object. You walk out there and you see an apple, the apple was created by God for a reason. If you're hungry and you need the strength to go, at, at, which will invigorate you and give you your blood sugar to go do something else, do something positive, then you're making a brother, you reveal the godly spark that's in that apple, the intent in its creation, it becomes part of your being, and now you, when you did something good, that apple had its actualization, realized its purpose, you elevated it. And that goes for everything. And there are certain things which God put there to test my, my discipline. That I can't engage by, by grappling with it, but I say, no! I know that you only exist in order to test my discipline, to test my allegiance to God, and therefore I will not have you, I will not engage in this specific thing. But there also I am in a way elevating 
Because that's why it exists. Why did God create evil? Why did God create the, the, the pigs? Nothing exists if not for the grace of God. Can we say that, that Hashem created everything but today? There is nothing that exists without God. There is a spark of Godliness in every single thing. But the difference is that what is permitted, the word for permitted, mutar, also means free. It's possible to elevate it. If what a Torah scroll, a Torah, that's holy. A chair, use your right. You can do it. I can elevate this thing. I can pick it up. It's not nailed down to, 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 to materiality. I can elevate it. I can make it part of the godly paradigm. A ham sandwich? Also. You know what means? Also means bound. In Hebrew, base ha'asurim, a prison, is, is base ha'asurim. Forbidden. Huh? It's something that is bound down here because I can't do it. This is nailed down. If this, and a ham sandwich is nailed down. I can't own it. Hashem created it. It has a spark. It wouldn't exist if, that, if not for the grace of God. You know why it exists? Test my discipline. To test my obedience, my obedience to God. If what the Rambam is saying, if that's your attitude to life, and you don't realize, you cannot see unfortunately with the naked eye. But there are a lot of things you can't see with the naked eye. And the more we go further in our science, we know how little we can see with the naked eye. So, therefore, you should know that you are incredibly polishing and refining the world you deal with. That is your goal. You're not just blind. You're not a mitzvah, this, that. There's a whole world out there for you to perfect, for you to polish. I, you, you say, I don't see it. Don't, don't pick it. There's a machine. There's going to be a time when there will be a harmony between the reality and what you see. Right now, there isn't. Right now, there is a disunity between the reality of this room and its and its um, its appearance, because it looks like a plain old room, not very well painted. And the fact is, this is a glimmering cosmic room right here. Because I know I've, I've been running around this place for 28 years, and I, this is this is a place where so much trade has been. So the Rambam says, don't forget. That. This is a pillar. And you know something? Even if you keep your Shabbos, and you keep your kosher, and you put on tefillin, but you don't realize that the whole, that God will have this for reason, not just for you to do mitzvahs, but for you to do mitzvahs, because He wanted a world which doesn't shout godliness to be transformed into a world which does shout godliness. If you don't realize that, then you're kind of missing the point a little. So the Rabbis doesn't say, only say, believe in it, because Yeshaya said it, Yecheskel said it, and he, said, he says that there are references in, in, in the trade itself, in the, in the five books, to Mashiach. It's, of course, there are a lot of important things. He saying, without this, you're missing one of the, the end game. You don't get the point. Fine, you're, 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 you're listening to a commander, you're, you're obeying God, and all this, it's all wonderful. But there's a point. Why did God create this? What did he mean from the whole business? And uh, since the Medrash tells us that what God wanted is that the world be transformed, transformed into a fitting place for the revelation, the full revelation of Godliness. Well, that's our job. We are supposed to be building this world into a fitting receptacle for Godliness, into a place that shows God. And every single time we, we use the material world we use things which don't appear 
specifically sacred. But we, we show that they have a place. And that's the point. Everything has a, a, a function to fill in the positive, in, in, in the godly paradigm. If there is something I see that does not have a function to fill, the problem is in my vision, not in the thing. That's a Torah axiom. And the Gemara talks about it. He wasn't sure what the spider fulfills. But everything does. Take it. That's a, that's a terrible premise. And the Mashiach is the idea is to bring that all in. Now, Mashiach. Obviously, we, we talk, we, we're speaking about the concepts within the person trying to feel a unity, and, and that will lead. If I am a more balanced and unified person, then I will achieve a greater sense of unity in my relationships with people too. That's just, uh, I mean, it, it's always easy to blame the other guy for the fact that I'm not, that we don't get along. But the fact is, often is something that I'm contributing. If I, if I don't, if, I, if there's friction or problem in the relationship. So if I'm a more balanced and healthy and unified person within, then there'll be more, and we all are, then there's more balance and unity on a communal level. And what the Torah talks about and, and, and being an important thing is that there will be a time when a specific individual who is balanced in this way, who has actualized himself and experiences inner harmony, will embody that and say, and, and usher in, not that he will affect it, but be God's tool for kicking in this actualization and harmony within all of us. Because it's a little unrealistic for us to think that we're all going to actually achieve such this, this uh, self-actualized state. Mendel Haradaka did. Maybe you guys did. I'm not there yet. But what we hope for Mashiach, and the reason we believe that Mashiach could come in, the way we can believe the Mashiach can come in any moment is because it's there. Like I know that there's good he here and here. I, it just has to be brought out to the open. I have within me the ability to live a totally harmonious life. I have within me the ability a totally balanced life where everything is in sync. My mind, my emotions, my actions. I just gotta get that inner strength out. And uh, the Mashiach, it is a, a specific individual who will be able to usher this in. Now, um, I would just tell you like this. I, I, I haven't spoken at the Mashiach probably two years. But uh, my first five years in Basking Ridge, I probably did about 40 times a year. Because I, I, my father's a dean here, and, I, and he sent me around to, to temples and places all over New Jersey. So. I will just tell you, uh, I'll, uh, I'll tell you what I used to tell them. Say, this is officially where my Michelle gig is over. However, because I know about the world, uh, I would say, this is what I would tell temples, and take it for whatever it's worth. So because I know that's on a lot of your minds, let me address for a moment the candidacy of Michelle. I don't know if you ever heard of such a thing. Do what? Like the candidacy. The Raman, some, somewhat, the persona of whom she has So what I would tell these uh, these groups is, since I know you're wondering about who I think Moshiach is, 
The answer is it's none of your business. The answer is that it's none of your business. Because I have come here tonight to speak about a concept, to be able to give it some sense of reality to us, and my opinions as to who would be are, are, I would say, irrelevant, and uh, I'm not presumptuous enough to, to, to voice them on your own, to drill on your business. However, I know that, that the New York Times has made it your business. So that I, I, what I would say is that I, I do believe that um, we have to always, is a basic, one of my monitors thinks that, uh, the thinks that my Moshiach can come in at the moment. And therefore, the idea of Moshiach, of who Moshiach will be, I have no problem. I mean, to me, the lot of trouble to fit the bill, I have no problem with that. To tell you that I know something absolutely is, I, I, I'm not presumptuous enough for that. It's not on my agenda. I work for the Rebbe, the Rebbe I never put it on my agenda. What the Rebbe put on my agenda, and this is actually this is how I would end it more, because I'm trying to remember what I said two years ago. Um, the Rambam told us to wait for an anticipated Mashiach every day. It's not easy. Not easy when you, you you have a ten-year plan and uh, you're putting things in your 401k. <laughs> okay. There's um, there's a, a there was unfortunately there was a great Torah scholar I love in Montreal named Rabbi Hirschbrunn. Rabbi Hirschbrunn was an incredible, incredible Talmud and he was not a Lubavitcher from his youth. But as he got older, he, he, I heard from him, he, he once told me a story how he met the Rebbe and he was so taken. So he became, he became the official Rosh Hashiva in Lubavitch, Montreal, even though he hardly went there. But he, he, he used to come to Fadrega when the Rebbe would speak. I, I'd seen him there like three, four times a year. One day, he was by Fadrega and the Rebbe was hammering away. While, while they're singing, Rabbi Hirschman went over to the Rebbe and he said, you know, you can ease up a little bit on the Mashiach thing. They believe. They believe. I'm telling you. They believe. I hang around with the people. Yeah. So the Rebbe said, uh, and you believe? You expect the Mashiach imminently? Yeah, yeah. So the Rebbe pointed to someone in the crowd and said, you know him? He said, yeah, he's from Montreal. You trust him? Sure. But he asked you to lend him $100. Would you do it? Absolutely. 
He told you he would repay you when Mashiach comes. Would you lend him a hundred dollars? So, so he, <laughs> that's what they were saying. And he, he, so he just walked away. That was it. The point is that what 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 the, the Rebbe drove home um, and to me, and I, I could not demand this from the groups I spoke to. I have I grew up uh, with surrounded by the Rebbe, and um, and I and I know I'm not a wild-eyed fanatic kind of guy, but I the Rebbe's vision to me. The Rebbe, he knew what he was talking about. The Rebbe knew what he was talking about. And I heard from the Rebbe speaking that the Rebbe said that Mashiach's coming is absolutely imminent. That if you could see the dynamics of reality, you'd see Mashiach's coming. I heard that from the Rebbe myself. So Mashiach's imminence is something that, and the Rebbe told us to tell people that. And what I would tell groups is, and what I tell you is that on my agenda, I work for the Rebbe. I try not to mix too much Mendy Herson into my job. My job, as the Rebbe gave it to me, is A, to try to explain Mashiach in a way that is rationally palatable, so that people can be inspired to actually want this thing, and B, to, to tell them that it is an imminent thing. I was never, ever instructed, not even insinuated, never hinted, I was never told to declare who Mashiach is. Having that being the case, why would I want to add on to the Rebbe's agenda? So I, I would just uh, tell you that I don't know what you've heard, what you see, whatever it is, I don't know what your particular feelings are. I have no problem with someone thinking that, uh, that, a, that a specific person is Mashiach and that they're not the Rebbe. I don't, I don't care. But I just got to tell you, as a, as a person who, who, who the Rebbe gave permission to speak for him in my area, this isn't my area, but in Somerset and Huntington counties in New Jersey, I do have permission to speak for the Rebbe. It's not on my agenda. So, whatever anybody said, they're, they're right, I guess. Do you believe that the title King Mashiach and the job description of that Mashiach, in terms of what his candidacy is, are indelibly intertwined? And that, and that for some reason, being the Mashiach, he has to do what Tanakh says he has to do. What Tanakh says he has to do? No, what the Rambam says he has to do. That depends how you, how you learn Tanakh. See, the thing is very important. Tanakh itself, talking about what the scriptures are, Tanakh itself is, is kind of fuzzy because there would appear to be quite a few contradictions there. I don't know if you know that. It is not clear. There are a lot of things. Is he only the al Is he coming in with a, a blaze of glory, or is he going coming in like a, like a poor man on a donkey? There, there are a lot of things, and the Gemara deals with that. When it comes to Jewish life, there is no substitution for halacha. Halacha, you can't play games. That's law. Is it black or is it white? And we could talk a lot about concepts and philosophize and so on. Yes or no? There is basically one halachic authority who deals with Mashiach. And that's the Ramah. He deals with it not as a concept, a philosophical concept. As a matter of fact, when he writes about it philosophically, and as a get a statement, he writes about it differently. Because then he's talking, he's expounding this homiletics and all that other stuff. Halacha is the Ramah. But is there a unified... Jewish view of what Mashiach is supposed to do. I think 
think that the Rambam, that the Rambam is, it would be very difficult for any Jewish view to differ from the Rambam because who is anything that's agalata, that's agadic, midrashic, philosophical, it, it, it can't go head to head with the Rambam. What does the Rambam say? The Rambam says that it has to be a descendant of David. Say that he is pig David. He he learns Torah like like his his great grandfather David. He is He will fight, wage the wars of God. And be successful. And then and he will bring all the then and then he's gonna have to be build the base of Mikdash and bring all the Jews together. Now, the Raman distinguishes between Cheskat's Mashiach and Mashiach Lamai. What someone presumed to be Mashiach and definitely Mashiach. It is extremely difficult for anyone to call the Rebbe Mashiach Lamai. Definitely Mashiach. Presumed to be Mashiach? I, I think it's fine. I, 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 I don't blast it because the Rebbe never told me to. What, it's not relevant. In my life, in my world, what am I, what is the, the point in me telling this person who, who doesn't know what to fill in me? Who Mashiach is? The, what Mashiach is, the idea of a, of a purpose in life, what we want to do? Absolutely. I agree with you. There's a religion out there that's often assumed the who. Oh, and, 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 and I tell you that, that, that the Rebbe was not, not, the, not the architect of that religion. Sat by many Fabrenians. I used to work for the Rebbe in transcribing things in English. I transcribed his Fabrenians after Shabbos. We did an English synopsis. I sat with uh, people who sat by Fabrenians, Bill Khan, and so on. I heard all those years, I was by every single Fabrenian. Talking about Tashin, no, not on this. I was by every single Fabrenian. I worked on every single of the transcript. Then didn't say it. He just didn't say it. So I, I don't, the who is just, if someone finds, Okay, if someone walks into my show and says, you know something? The <laughs> fact that I believe that the Lubavitcher Mashiach, I presume to be Mashiach, that has inspired me to put on the phone, pick up the phone, man. I'll do it. It just doesn't work that way. I deal with real people. So why would I want to It's not, if nobody says, and if someone asks me, what the fuck? Why, why, who cares? Why do you want to know? What Mashiach is? That's a major. Is the principle of Mashiach uh, the goal of Mitzvah to uh, actualize the Mashiach, or is the Mashiach an instrument to motivate people to perform Mitzvahs? Uh, that's a good question. But I, I would say that, that there's a little bit of both. But from the way, the way you can make the case that Raman looks at it and so on, that, uh, and, and the way the Medrash should look at it, that mitzvahs, now it, 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 you got to be careful with, with making mitzvahs into a tool. Mitzvahs are mitzvahs. I do because God wants it. But once I get, try to get into what God wants after the whole thing, the sheikh is part and parcel. Oh, well, the thing is, it depends where, where you're coming from in that. If, if they would have told 
if they would have been told the Mashiach is coming in 3,000 years, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to make a Kashmir. That's according to uh, the, the opinion that Mashiach would have come when they left Egypt. Right. There's a little bit of both. But um, definitely a very strong case to be made that, I mean, that, that's what it is. Why did God create a world? It's not from Mashiach, there's no reason. The other thing I have difficulty with, I appreciate you're trying to make uh, your explanation of Shia grounding on reasoning and trying to make it as practical and um, I guess sober a concept as possible. But to me, the Shia is kind of like a red heifer. It's something which is beyond reason. It's inaccessible to the, the human being. But the, the anticipation of such a, a being, the anticipation of such a state, I think is something that we benefit from thinking about. Yeah, but the thing is, it, it, it should be very different than the red heifer. It should be very different, very different than the red heifer, because the red heifer borders on the irrational. Because right. the bad, red heifer has inherent contradictions within itself. And therefore we say, still, that's what the Torah says, <laughs> what am I going to do? Mashiach makes a lot of sense. But what about, the, well, to me there's still a lot of contradictions. Like what? The Mashiach, like, the Mashiach will come either when everything is really dark or really light. It's one extreme or the other. It's not like there's only one path to Mashiach. There seem to be many different ways of initiating or, or so bringing the Mashiach. I, first of all, again, there are... And be very careful, and that's what I mentioned before about Allah. If you open up the 11th paragraph of Sanhedrin, you would come away with Mashiach being a schizophrenic guy, that's number one, and the world being so turned upside down because it's this and that, and it's like, well, it can't be all. And listen, you know, what, what's the, the Gemara is full of most like this, right? And there's, there's more, many more, it's so shrouded in, in mystery. There's even the Hillel, Red, Red Hill, not the, the original Hillel, says, in Mashiach Yisrael. There's no Mashiach for the Jews. And that doesn't make any sense. The area of the Barbanel. The Barbanel writes, he goes crazy in, in, in Rosh Hashanah. And he wrote a safer on this. You can't learn the Gemara that way. It makes no sense. You actually are, are, are a fluid of according to the Gemara Namura, who says there's no Mashiach. And he explains how that it's absolutely not what a Bill meant. That's why Allah is Allah. Brahman does not say that. Brahman does not make it appear that. Brahman makes it appear. It's, it's, it's not, so, not so outrageous, Brahman wants. It's outrageous in their thinking that, that the old Jews are going to get along, and that all Jews are going to go back to Israel, things like that. So there's an element of faith. I don't think, it, I personally, the idea of thinking of a world where potential is brought to the fore. I believe in a world where there's an inherent goodness in everything. And believe that, a, that there is, will be a stage when that inherent goodness will be revealed. I don't have a problem. Okay, how does the average Jew express his anticipation as the Red defines it? I, well, I, I, I'll tell you I have found, first of all, I feel, I find that the, all the New York Times, all this, this hype worked against me terribly in working with your average non-religious Jew. Because I, I don't deal with any from Jews, Orthodox Jews, any. As soon as they, they become a religious, they move out. And I, I found, and it was, a, it was very interesting and inspiring to me to see how successful people are. We live in a wealthy area. And someone can have a 16,000 square foot home and seven car garage. And to talk about a world where I think words don't mean things. 
and they will be resurrected with real relationships and people will care about each other. And the goodness of the world will come out. They want that so bad. They want that so bad. And I say, you know, something if you could do a little bit in your life to bring Mashiach within yourself and then in the micro, make bring it to the macro, it works. The New York Times makes it all the oh God, I didn't know what I was getting into. On that I guess part. You know, so I didn't know this was a cult. You know, the New York Times or the, these articles painted it all in a very bad light. And, and it's, it's, it, there's nothing I can do about it. But that's not what they ever said. It was individuals. Yeah, I never read the New York Times. I was the hype. I mean, there's tons of Any paper you saw. Any paper you saw, not the thing of the Rebbe's candidacy, this and that. Sorry, I don't mean New York Times per se. This stuff is something that, that worked against it, but individuals? Who doesn't want... You know what pain the world there is out there? You know how pain the world is? I feel very, very... I just, I'm coming from my house. I feel like I a wealthy heir. Millions of dollars on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He's in his 40s. One of the most miserable guys you can imagine. And he now, he goes, he actually goes to the other once a week to the other's grave. He's not, he's not from yet. But he finds the idea reality of Tejah, mitzvahs, the reason for being towards this. Now, I haven't gone too deeply into Mashiach and ideas of him. But it's no question he did it up because that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a better world. How does that address the question of how Jews practice his anticipation? The anticipation is to make another step in his own life, to, to make this world a brighter world and to bring that, that level where the innate goodness is brought to the fore because they really want it. So I'm going to not only to make a step, but to have an emotion. I am happy if a person sitting at my shop, Friday night t- table, says, I really want that. That's, I don't know. And if you really want to do something. I'm sorry, what are you saying? Yeah. You know, actually, you said about the Mashiach Khan, whatever that is, or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. I think that's just the choice of our own that we could take. If you're not thinking religion, you'll see the darkness. You know, you try to think of religion. The world is darkness. There's nothing that can be out there. It's out there every time you turn on the news. You see more working, more working, you see people going to school and killing other kids. It's going insane already. It's going out of limits. Like, you don't know what to do. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good thought. That's a good thought. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, a couple of times I've gone to the Shilat in my hometown. Who's Actually, a separate principle. That's the thirteenth principle of faith. Yeah, so I, I usually don't address it too much, but there is, it, it, are, they are intertwined. Yeah. It is one that is much less. If you want to talk about one that's a faith thing, the resurrection of the dead is, is something that that the those the commentaries who wrote books on this they say clearly that that's something uh, where you can get in with that. Although you say Mechayah Mason, you say it in, in, in Shemunah too, but the Rambam. 
The Rambam wrote in Igaris Tchiyas Amesim, he wrote an epistle on Tchiyas Amesim. That was to defend himself, actually. It's not so much analyzing Tchiyas Amesim, but explaining that he believes in it. There's, uh, I'm not sure what the questions are, but there's something as a, uh, a, a long letter from the Rebbe about it. That was printed in Kavitz Babich. I'm sure I have it here. I don't know what the questions are. I mean, there are things that are obscure, and we'll know when we get there. But I don't know, I'm not sure why you're talking about. Oh, the Chassidus definitely really. They're all really, that they can understand it. They accept all these other. Yeah. You don't know if they're going to have to go on there. Well, two sets of. Well, that's the principle. One of the first principles of faith that I have trouble believing. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it may be not now, but there is Chassidus. No, 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 it's not. No, no, it's not. Chassidus makes a big deal. Uh, the fact that the, the body is holy. And, um, you know, to me, if, if God can create a world, he can rebuild the body too. And it's, therefore, and Chassidus makes a big deal out of the fact that the ultimate, there's, there's a, a difference of opinion between the Rambam and the Rambam, Maimonides and Nachmanides, as to what the ultimate good will be, the ultimate error, will be bodies, souls and bodies, or disembodied souls. So Maimonides actually thinks it will be disembodied souls. The Ramban, the Ramban says specifically with souls and bodies, and that's how Siddhis goes, because, and also because of this union, the fusion of the physical and the spiritual. It's a little beyond the scope, but you can explain Hasidus-wise the absolute beauty and the, the natural sequence of, of our belief system to have it culminating in Chiesa Mason. You can explain that. Explain how it's going to happen. I don't know how that happens. Explain what I mean. The questions that the Rebbe addresses are: What's who? If someone had uh, t- two wives, was he going to end up being married to them? You know, they're, they're questions, right? No, no. What? So, you know what they say that should be specific. Well, that's the Rambam talks. There are. There is plenty. Believe me, if I have to give a talk, if you have to give a talk at the Chesed Mason, there's plenty to talk about. Absolutely, plenty to talk about. But it's. Make fun? I am with you. Somebody else you asking something? Are you asking anything? That's it? Yes, sir. Would the Rambam feel that 6,000 years couldn't go in the Gemara? The Gemara says it clearly. 6,000? 6,000 years and that's it. The Gemara says it. Actually, someone just asked me about it. The Great Shabbat. Someone just asked me about it. This Shabbos. Pretty funny. So, uh, Chabad believes? No, no, no. This is a Gemara. This is a, the time of reading. We, we, don't, we, ever, we didn't no, call out the uh, Shabbos. It's not done? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mean, what happens? What do you mean? I don't know. What happens when the second coming happens? I mean, it's, it's not. I, I don't worry about these things. You know, it's <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> but you should definitely, or you, or you should reserve is the uh, domain name Chabad Y6, Y6K. That'll be the Y6K dollar. It'll be worth a lot of money. <laughs> All right.